Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Yeah, welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast interview series, man. Jumping into it today in this in the special world of the venture capital world of sports, man. Jumping into it with the president of 76 Capital Sports Advisory, Dan Bravado. Man, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Always a good day when I get to spend some time with you. Well, how old were you when you made that decision that you wanted to jump into the sports business? Like 16, 17. Like 16, it was early. 17. It was early. Cause I knew like I grew up playing sports, sports in my life. Like I grew up a sports fan playing sports and it was just, you know, it's hard as we've talked about in the past, like what jobs are out there. How do you work in sports? Like everyone wants to be an athlete, right? That's, that's step one. And then 99.9% of people don't get that. So where do you go from there? And I think that's the path. I went the 99.9 path. Absolutely. Oh, that's, a, that's an amazing piece right there, because I always talk about getting into high school or going through the recruiting process, understanding if you want to work in the sports, like there's certain steps that you have to put in place to get that experience. And like for you to get that experience at 16 years old is actually I mean, it's pretty it's pretty unique, right? Because it sets you up to understand the business of what's going on and how to move through it. So so when you get to college, did you have any more internships before you started transitioning um, into the sport advisory? Yeah, world? yeah. I interned for NBC Sports, which was a big one. It's interesting. Like you, I got this piece of advice when I was younger, and, and it's super valuable. It's the most important thing you can learn from an internship is that you don't want to do something. And you're like, on paper, you're like, what does that mean? Like, how, how does that make any sense? But like, I interned at a startup. One of my first internships in college, I interned for this guy, and he was building, he was localizing, taking local, like, skating rinks and stadiums and college uh, or and like uh, amateur like fields and aggregating that and then selling to Geico, Verizon, et cetera, and saying, I have a hundred youth soccer fields. I have a thousand skating rinks. And it was amazing for me because like, you know, seeing this guy try to build and start a company like versus then interning at NBC Sports and being like NBC Sports, like they're not building a company, right? They're a gigantic company. And so seeing those two things and experiencing that dichotomy really kind of fueled me to be like, as crazy as it sounds, I think I like the craziness of trying to build something from scratch versus like trying to work at some gigantic multi, you know, billion dollar company. And so I learned at NBC that I didn't want to work at NBC and not knocking NBC. They're a great company and have some amazing people there. But that was a big learning point for me. And I learned that at, you know, 20, 21 years old, which was, you know, it took me a while to get there, but I kind of knew the whole time I wanted to be a little more entrepreneurial. No, most definitely. And that's interesting. We talk about wanting to be entrepreneurial and wanting to work in sports. That was something that I kind of, the crossroads that I came in, is like, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but the closest thing to it within sports was like, like a general manager or kind of running a team, right? Like organizing the whole situation. So 
when I found out about 76 Capital, it was extremely interesting. Everything that you guys were doing over there, uh, just the different projects or just the investments that you were guys were going in and just um, how the sports ecosystem is transforming right now. Can you give us a, the listeners a little bit of details of what you actually do at 76 Capital as the president of the sports yeah. advisory wing? Happy to do it. So we, we have two verticals at 76. Our first vertical is our venture capital arm, Justin, which you've talked about quite a bit. And what we're doing there is we're investing in what we consider to be the future of sports. So we're investing in early stage sports tech companies. And that ranges from fitness trackable wearables to camera technologies that power, you know, the pylon cam and the sky cam to um, brick and mortar gaming facilities, esports facilities to um shoe rental companies where you can rent like, you know, dunks and, and, uh, you know, Yeezys and things like that. And so it's really interesting to see kind of where we kind of see this industry going on the investment side and that sports entertainment, everything that kind of encompasses that. And then the second part of our business is our consulting arm, which is our advisory group that I run on the day to day and then work on the venture side as well is consulting in these areas. So, you know, I'm investing in early stage sports betting and sports tech and things like that. So why shouldn't I also help educate people on those topics as well? So we might have family offices who own pro sports teams who are like, how do we do this? How do we, what should esports look like for us? What should betting look like? So we've done everything on the consulting side from advising professional sports franchises like the Edmonton Oilers all the way down to just got back from Vegas working with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, uh, helping them. They were the official charity of the eSports Awards, and we did an activation with a bunch of creators uh, at the eSports Awards in Vegas. So really does run the gamut, but just helping kind of some of these brands, organizations, offices, et cetera, teams understand where the industry is going and how to adjust for it. Man, that's amazing because like when we talk about where the industry is going, I think that's probably needed most in college sports, right? Like where everything's that's transpiring and, and moving around. And especially when you talk about gambling, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, what type of businesses have you guys been dealing with within the, within the gambling community and how have you seen it affect, I guess, like the sports entities that you've been dealing with and how they're like shaping, whether it's their talent acquisition processes, their fan engagement. Yeah, I mean- Gambling, for better or for worse, is is the biggest adjustment to the sports industry that I think we're going to see since you know HDTV, right? Like this is this is like a really big game changer. Um, and what we've seen is from us, we've invested in betting operators that became what previously was Fubo Sportsbook. We've invested in technologies that allow you to you know get lines, get you know. In, in like allow you to actually engage with what's happening in the game. What's the next rush going to be over under this many yards? Is uh, Tom Brady going to throw a pass? Or are they going to run it? Like all those kind of things and how that all kind of plays in and intersects with fandom. And so sports betting on the investment side is, is we're, what we're most well known for. We're, we're the, we were the most active VC in Nevada last year. And that's really like what, what we're most known for. Um, and then on the advisory side, it was our biggest business last year, which has been great. And that went from literally, as I mentioned, like advising teams on when betting becomes legal in their state or province, what do we do? How do we respond to that? What should we be doing to maximize revenue, to engage fans, et cetera? Are there things we can be doing ahead of time, right? And so that's been a big area for us. And now we work with talent as well in the betting space. We've advised a number of betting talent on how to build their business, how to build their social media, you know, how to build your personality and what you're really talking about. And so that's been a big business for us as well. 
And it's amazing how much like the betting industry is really intersecting with all of sports. I mean, we're seeing collegiate deals, you know, LSU, um, UNLV, like a lot of these schools are bringing on betting partners. And, you know, obviously you were a college athlete at a higher level than I was, but the, the betting on shot put isn't the biggest thing in the world, but college football at Penn State is. And so, you know, it was a thing like you couldn't go near a casino. You couldn't talk about betting like when when you and I were, were playing uh, our respective sports. And now it's like it's in the world. Right. You see the NHL release their first active player who's actually endorsing a sports book with with Connor McDavid and MGM. That's going to be spreading more and more. Will we see it in college athletes? I think at some point you might. Uh, if the schools are doing deals, why can't the athletes also be monetized? And that seems a little unfair. Um, and that was the obviously argument in professional sports is, well, the players are actually the ones involved. So it would be unfair if they were endorsing, but the teams aren't involved and they're doing deals and they're clearly involved. So I, I think you'll see more and more of that trickling down. And, and it's just fascinating at how how involved the the industry is. And, you know, we worked with Game Plan, for, existence, for example, who you might be familiar with, who educates a lot of the college athletes on what they should be doing, shouldn't be doing, educating and learning. And we did a deal with them with Penn Interactive to educate on responsible gaming, what you shouldn't be doing, how to best react when things happen. And I think responsible gaming is a really important part of the gambling industry because there's a lot of downside to the gambling industry, obviously. And we have to prepare for that. We have to best uh, educate folks on what to do when, when things are looking dire or when they're doing things they shouldn't be doing or, or trying to understand what they can and can't do, particularly with college athletes. Can I bet? Can I not bet? What sports can I bet on? And so that was a really fun project to work on as well. But yeah, I think the intersection of, of sports and gambling is massive as well as college sports being kind of the, I'll call it the lagging one behind just because, you know, there's so much nuance between college athletes and, and gambling. We were talking about previously just your gamble, like the, the work that 76 Capital does in the gambling space and the intersection of sports. Can you dive into that a little bit of just like where you see the industry going and how teams are using 76 Capital Sports Advisory to kind of navigate the space? Yeah, so, so obviously with, with our two verticals on the betting, on the VC side and then on the consulting side, we get to see the gambling space at, at you know, two really interesting points. So obviously on the venture side, we're investing early stage. So that's companies that are just starting, have an idea, have a concept, and are very early on it. And so for us, like we started with a sports book that became what formerly was known as Fubo Sportsbook, right? That was our company that they Fubo acquired and, and, and brought on and created their sports book that they actually just shut down. Um, but, you know, seeing a sports book built from the ground up, seeing USI, which is an integrity provider here, like that's one of our investments that we've gotten to, to learn and work with. Because obviously, if you want your sport bet on, you have to go state by state and you have to get it approved. And there's all these nuances. And we're seeing that right now, actually, with MMA, UFC has had some issues recently when it comes to integrity. Um, and so understanding it from the investment side has been great. And then on our consulting side, on the advisory business, we've gotten to work with teams. When when sports betting opens up in your state or province, what do you do? Where do you take that? How do we react, right? Because as sports executives, you're not allowed, well, previously, you were not allowed in a sports book. You weren't allowed to bet on your sport. That was like a big no-no. Um, and now all of a sudden it's like, not only can you bet on it, but you're supposed to know the ins and outs of it to negotiate a, you know, upwards of two, three, four, five million dollar deal without ever having known about it. Like that's hard. And so we get tagged in a lot on those kind of projects to really help those folks say, okay, what should we be asking for? What are the structures that are out there in the U S and Canada? 
Um, how do we best monetize this? How do we best engage our fan base? How do we include responsible gaming, which is a huge part of all of this? So we're, we're really seeing the full scope of the gambling space from, you know, inception and, and startups to, you know, how does that interact with a multi-billion dollar entity like a pro sports franchise? So it's a it's a really fun kind of space to sit in, from, from my opinion. No, most definitely. I love the fact that you said that because the, the gambling world in sports is kind of foreign, sometimes to the operational aspect to the point that you said because it's against the rules like all right don't go can't gamble you can't bet on games so you're kind of out of sight out of mind so when i was at the xfl i was actually charged with writing the gambling policy so a lot of things that we did was just dealing with with mgm or just the different uh regulators about what it takes for our league to be able to um promote gambling have players promoted and there's a lot of a lot of regulations right like just making sure that the information is correct making sure that we have reputable players that you can set lines on and different things of that nature. And I remember a funny story. My man, Sam Schwarzman told me about going to the uh, sports book out in uh, Vegas and they were asking Oliver and they were asking about uh, how do they come up with the lines, the line spread. And, you know, everybody was like trying to be real intricate. And there was somebody in the back when the mathematician was like, just give me the quarterback. <laughs> like, that's all we need to know about anything. We'll set the line from there. Just showing the value of the quarterbacks. Cause at the time we were doing roster construction, just understanding how a lot of the things where the odds were coming out were based on that quarterback position and just driving the game. Right. So when we talk about strategic talent acquisition and those different things, what are the pieces to that asset and relevance to the other pieces of the sports organization? So with that, do you see like NIL falling into the gambling space? I know you mentioned it earlier about LSU, but that's state to state. So there's some schools that you would say would have a competitive advantage if they have, the opportunity to have gambling NIL money or like as a weapon to recruit players. It's interesting. I I mean, so, so a lot of gambling comes back to integrity, right? Like, you know, let's say I'm trying to say, all right, Justin and I are going to go play one-on-one basketball. Right. And we're going to get it offered on DraftKings, right? Like everyone thinks it's that easy, but it's not right. Because let's say, me and you play basketball and obviously you're going to be favored in that situation <laughs> just because you're a better athlete than I am and say, you know, we're playing a 10 and you're going to be minus five. Right. So okay. I get five baskets. So I only have to score five to beat you. You have to score 10 to beat me. Um, and you have to beat me by five. And so it's not as simple as that's it. Like what if all of a sudden you and I are like, all right, all right, Justin, we're going to bet a million dollars and I'm going to bet on me beating you because I'm the underdog and you're going to throw the game. So, and we're going to split that million dollars. And you're like, cool, I get to make $500,000. Why wouldn't you do that, right? And so when it comes to integrity, that's a big thing, right? If you think about an NFL player, right? And unfortunately, we saw this Calvin Ridley, who was not throwing games, but just happened to be betting on games, right? If you say to Calvin, or you say to someone making millions of dollars, like, hey, yo, I'll throw you 50K to drop a touchdown pass today, right? You're going to be like 50K. Like, you know, I'm making that half a game, right? I'm not going to waste my time. And so you have a semblance of built-in integrity with that because it's like, I'm not going to risk, you know, making millions of dollars because, you know, someone tell me to drop a touchdown pass, but in college athletics, you don't have that. So there's a little, the integrity is a really interesting avenue. No, it is because that's the same problems we were dealing with at the XFL where we're paying guys, you know, whether $40,000, they had opportunity to make money on incentives, winning games and things of that nature. But it was like, wait, wait, why would a grown man not take an opportunity to go to the casino if it's just going to do an NIL deal. It's like, hey, promote the buffet and get X amount yep. of dollars or whatever yep. the case may be. You see with FanDuel or the different um, uh, betting 
groups or yeah, gambling houses that are doing that stuff with like uh, the day trades or the day 707 type situations. Because um, I know the one thing that the regulators or the groups that were working with us put the putting it together where it was like uncovering all the different sports internationally where like gambling's a problem, like the third world cricket scene and just like the underworld, uh, uh, like water polo. It was just, it was like really crazy when you talked about like where the money's going in terms of betting, but in a sport like college football or just college athletics in general, where there is real um, incentive to deal with that. I mean, I came across bookies right at Penn state, you know, it's the tri-state area. Everybody knows everybody is like, and so now that is, it's legal and it's coming up is it's interesting right yeah. <laughs> and it's it's there, there's levels to it right where it's yeah. like like if they're like justin when you were at penn state like if they're like hey you should promote DraftKings, i'm cool with that yeah. right like why shouldn't you promote DraftKings? like you're not doing anything you're not saying bet on me to have a pick today you're not saying bet on me to you know lock down their receiver to under 40 yards you're just saying bet on DraftKings. And we're seeing that right in, in pro leagues, right? Connor McDavid did his deal with MGM, first major athlete of the big four, to sign a, an active athlete to do a betting deal. But he's not saying bet on me to score two goals tonight. He's not saying bet on the Oilers to beat, you know, the Bruins, right? And the same thing could apply to NIL, right? Like you guys have these these athletes have an audience, they have a following, like and college football is massively bet on, college basketball massively bet on. And so why if if people are following them, I think they should have that opportunity. I think they will, right? You're seeing colleges do these deals with betting operators. The next logical step is the athletes, because if the colleges can do it and they technically can control, like they may bench their best player because their coach is like, oh, I'm going to make a couple month, couple bucks here, right? The teams can control that. Same thing if the player did an endorsement deal, he could technically control that too. And so if you're letting the colleges do it, I think you have to let the players do it at some point. No, absolutely. A lot of people are just the general public, at least me, I was introduced to gambling through betting on a uh, NCAA bracket, like you said. So the next step is like, when are we going to start betting on the college football playoffs when it goes to 12 games? Cause like, that's even, that's exciting. One game in, one game out home field advantage for the first, uh, for the first, for the first game. So it like ties me back into that. Cause when we talk about the, we get into that and just follow the, the capital flow just in sports, right? You got the gambling piece. We have the, the media rights and the conference realignment because that all goes in back into the gambling and where you guys are consulting at. And the product on the field, we come down to talent acquisition and people that are coaching and all those different things. So we see a move like Deion Sanders going to Colorado. In the past, you know, I mean, okay, you go to a place like Colorado, you have a three, four year time to kind of turn it around. But we've seen the different avenues of capital being injected into sports programs and them seeing the profit or the benefit from it. We saw it at Jackson state. Where do you feel, or how do you feel about the move of Deion Sanders going to Colorado? And what do you think um, capital investors are going to do or put around the university of Colorado at this point? Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of haters out there, right? Like people saying like, and, and I love what, what he did and what he's doing for HBCUs, but like, you got to respect the man getting his bag and like taking a chance to get to a new level. Like, you know, what he's done down there was awesome and got an amazing recruiting class and they played well. And like, he really did a great job, but like, I, I don't like when people are hating on him and saying like, Oh, well he's giving up. He's doing it. Like, let's say you're working at your job and you're doing a great job. And then a new company, a bigger company offers you more money to go work on that. new. Are you like, are you like, are people going to hate on you for taking that new job? No. Like, what he's done is, is really incredible. And I think so, and you know this world is better than I do probably, but when you think about the recruiting space, right? 
like it used to be you would go and you and I have talked about your recruiting trips and stuff like that. Like what's going to get you to go? Oh, are we going to bring this kid to a party? Are we going to show him the workout facilities? Is he going to meet the coach? Like all of these different things. But like nowadays in 2022 and beyond, like what can you do for me? Like how are you going to make me a star? How are you going to grow my social media? How are you going to put me front and center in front of Netflix, you know, YouTube, all of these platforms, TikTok? Like what are you going to do to make me worth more? And when I think about like going to a school, like that's kind of way, right? Like USC had previously announced that they were partnering with a production house, right? And so, you know, you're at Ohio State, you got LeBron in your back pocket in some capacities. Like you have to look at that when you're weighing this. Is it necessarily like, am I going to go play for Nick Saban and win a national championship at Alabama? Or am I going to become the next destroying, right? And, and build this huge platform as an online personality. And when you think about being associated with Dion, like there's clout, right? right? Colorado, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, their viewership is going to go up next season because people are going to be interested. And like you can't, you can't sleep on that if you're an athlete. Oh, 100 percent. I think they gained something. Like don't, don't misquote me. I can look it up. It's like something like a hundred thousand followers or something, or on social yep. media and just their engagement. I know they did a recruiting post about the Dion effect, and that's something that's interesting that you're talking about. Whereas I kind of summed it up in a video I did previously, where it's just our relationship with football coaches and understanding exactly what they are. Because like I, I think we still have this old version of the football coach right from remember the titans left side strong side like, if you don't drop a ball you run a mile but like these are executives right like they're there to build the value of the team and win games it's a very complex job and in doing that you have to lead men have to have a sense of the community you're building up he's done a lot of different things within the community from the sports realm i mean that's every sports entity in the united states in college sports right like penn state football does a lot for the community ohio state does a lot for Columbus and so forth and so on. And, and now that, you know, you get a chance to move along. I think sometimes we do categorize coaches and limit them and what they can do or what they, what their job requires, because I see it a lot of times where players get messed up because especially in football, when you're coming up and you get into the sport of football, it's like there's a level of discipline that's trying to be instilled teamwork, all these different things um, and skill development. Not that it's on the forefront, but the, the coach starts to operate in like a father figure type of sense, right? You have to have confidence to run through this person and then kind of lose sight of that transition from high school where that person is almost like a father figure uncle to like, okay, now you're in the NFL. Like this is a CEO that you're dealing with, right? Like this is how he's going to operate. This is what he needs to do. And there's value that you need to bring to him. And like with that, I'm rambling a little bit, but with coaches, that ecosystem that they build is extremely impressive and needs to be paid attention to around because that, that is a skill that comes along with um, building programs. I remember like even like a place like June Jones, right? When he was at Hawaii, it was, everyone talks about his, uh, his half line office and they had great guys with Devin Bess, um, Cole Brennan and all that good stuff going on there. But the one thing that people don't talk about is like how he galvanized the fan engagement by sending out buses to the different local communities in Hawaii and getting them to the games for free and changing the different rules to get the whole environment and just the economic impact that sports actually brings to it. Because you can win games and all that stuff, but if it's not really revitalizing everything around it, you know, where's the value in it? But sometimes the coach is misplaced in the value that they're bringing to the table and like how we're viewing them. Because I think that's where a lot of the hurt or, the criticism comes from is like, oh, you lied to us. You were here and there. It's like, no, it's just more so showing you like how dynamic some of these head coaches need to be, right? Because, I mean, especially black head coaches, to be completely honest with you, because I don't think we always 
we don't say too much about uh, like Nick Saban or just like what he's kind of doing in the community or things of that nature. It's just strictly wins and losses. It came up a little bit with uh, Brian Kelly when he went from Notre Dame to LSU, but at the same time, I mean, he was honest. He was like, I need, I need to win here. And if anyone knows the recruiting game, you can recruit different players at Notre Dame than you can recruit at LSU. It's, it's a little different, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Like you said, going to go get that bag. And with that, and the, you add the transfer portal into that, like which is free agency, and you have the money situations that are coming in with donors. You're essentially creating uh, professional sports in college, like I would say, right? And so, with that being said, venture capital getting into the college space and NIL, where do you see kind of some venture capital cash flow flowing? And and do you think any of yours are going to go into some companies that are started by athletes in this space, like? Is that avenue that's untapped right now? For sure. I mean, I think, and, and again, you know this better than I do, NIL is in a tricky spot right now, yep. right? State by state, school by school, it's confusing. And so we to date have not made an NIL investment, but that's abnormal. Right. The majority of VCs have made an investment and typically it's in like a platform, right? And there's a number of platforms out there where athletes can put up and, you know, go get deals. And so you put your profile up. I'm Justin, I'm a cornerback. I, this many followers, this, that, and the other. And then, you know, brands, McDonald's, Verizon, whatever, will find you on the platform and say, I'm looking for a guy in PA who's doing this or doing this or a girl who's playing this, this, and the other. And, and you can go and source deals. So that's where a lot of the VC money has gone to date um, is into these, these platforms, um, you know, open sponsorship, Upfluence, um, influencer, like there's a whole bunch of them out there. And, and those are what people are betting on because it's the easiest path to success. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking these platforms, they'll work and there will be one that will be successful. But my big thing when we were looking at kind of assessing the space is it's too early for us, right? In the sense of like it hasn't shaken out yet. And a lot of VC is doing that, right? You're shooting in the dark a little bit. But when we were looking at some of these platforms, we're like, what makes you better than the other person who pitched us yesterday? What makes you better than the person that pitched us three days ago? And we have not found like the one that we're like, this is the end all be all. So we're in the, we're in the camp of like, if we're going to invest in a technology or a concept, we're going to invest in one because we think that is going to be the winning one. And there's always competitors, right? If you're doing something good, you have competitors. Um, and so we have not made an NIL investment yet. But again, just to call out, like that's an abnormality in the space we're the anomaly where most VCs have invested typically in a platform, uh, sponsorship type platform. No, that's a great point that you made. And it's like with the news breaking last week, I guess what the sports platform fanatics raised $700 million from what Clear Lake capital valuing fanatics at $31 billion. And it's interesting because fanatics is one of the major players in the NIL space. And I think a lot of people don't mention that when they talk about like, whether it's a platform or different things of that nature, but strictly based on the licenses of the school. Right. Like like they have the license of the school so they can offer NIL programs almost as a rollout. So with that being said, like companies like like Finex, I think they're getting into gambling now. Right. But using the likeness of players and different things and not and like scaling out. Where do you see the gap in like the platforms that are just trying to promote players or actually providing a service and kind of like, all right, you're with us. We're actually giving you money or building something around you. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the one of the big things like that you got to pay attention to and, and, you know, when college athletes come to the table, like they went from being recruited and, and I'll speak mostly about D1 athletes here, right? Whether you're a, you know, a female volleyball player, a men's football player, like 
you were the best of the best, right? If for you to end up in a D1 program, like you were damn good, right? And so you then go to this program. Let's say we'll take, you know, a female volleyball player. You were playing in high school. You were probably all state. You're really good. Then you get to this college. Now everyone's really good, right? But part of you and part of being a great athlete, and we talked about Kobe earlier, the mama mentality, like you got to believe that. You think you're the best. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, this quarterback just got this NIL deal for a million dollars. I should be getting a million dollars. And frankly, like the odds of you getting that are not high, right? How many, everyone hears about the million dollar deals in NIL, but they're few and far between. The majority of the deals are $50, $100, $200. Like go post about this. Exactly. But you don't want to be that coach that tells the recruit, hey, yeah, like, you know, Ohio State told me I'm getting a million dollar NIL deal. And you got to be like, well, you might get a hundred dollar deal. You might get a thousand dollar deal. But these kids who have been the best of the best for their whole lives, they don't want to hear that. And (coughs) when you look at these platforms, like, those are the major deals that are coming through, right? Like if you're doing a million dollar NIL deal, that's probably not coming through a platform. You have an agent, you're negotiating through the agent, there's a brand agency, like, and so I think like the platforms, like even if they're taking a fee, let's say they take 5%, 10%, 2.5%, whatever the fee is, like it's not that much money, right? Like again, how many $50 deals, $100 deals do you have to do? And I'm not talking even yet about value and kind deals, which are like, Hey, you know, promote my, you know, water bottle and I'm going to send you a free water bottle, present, prevent, promote my gaming chair. I can't even monetize that as a platform or an agent because like, what am I going to take 10% of that water bottle, 10% of that gaming chair, you know? And so that's where it gets a little tricky of like, you know, you hear about the million dollar deals, but you can count on, you know, two hands, how many of those there really are. You bring up a great point. I mean, when you talk, uh, talking about the agents aspect, right? Where there's like a lot of agents entering the space and using their credibility uh, as, as representing professional athletes as um, the ability to get brand deals and things of that nature. And I always found that pretty hypocritical because like a lot of NFL players or just mid-tier players in professional sports don't have brand deals. So it's like, what, what gives you the, the things you can, you're coming in here to get these deals off of these guys and what take 50 bucks or a hundred dollars, but it's really to get provide value. So when they sign their SRA and they're going into the league, they can get the, one, two, three percent and hold on to those guys forever. But it's to the point that you're saying those like, where is the real value in these players or athletes understanding what value they actually need to be to monetize their name, image, and likeness, right? Because like I think that's a a misnomer for a lot of athletes where they just it's just like it's preached at a young age, like you're a business, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And like you're right. You can become a business, but like you're a legit laborer to begin with and like to become anything special, you have to separate yourself for a company to want to associate with you. And like, I hear a lot of speeches and just talks from people that maybe haven't played high level sports, but whether it's lawyers or different things of that nature. And I hear a lot of uh, theories of like, you just don't have to be a good player. You just have to have a great personality and put yourself out there. And there's two different things to NIL, right? Cause I think there's an opportunity to build your brand, a professional brand, a corporate brand, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you want to work in, a media space like a Pat McAfee, or you could do different things where it's outside of the field of play. But then there's, like you said, those name, image, and likeness deals where it's based on how good you are. The Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, like the Bronny James, like, and it's, you're separating as, your separating factor or your special factor is how you perform on the, your field of play and separating from the rest of the competition because that's what brands want to associate with (laughs) at the end of the day. So it's always interesting to me when, 
talking to different platforms. We're like, hey, can you get athletes to help us get on the platform? I'm like, well, what, are you providing them a service? Because they have the best platform to build their NIL anywhere. I mean, you go to Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Alabama, you're, you're getting hundreds of millions of eyes on you just through that program from going there, right? So what exactly, what value are agents sometimes bring into the NIL game is my question. Um, unless you're bringing the big, big brand deals and that's based yeah. on ecosystem. It, it's a tough question. I mean, like, like I said, like the reason, so as an advisor, we put on my consulting hat versus my VC hat, like our board was like pushing me a lot. They're like, well, we need to get an NIL. We need to get an NIL. And I'm like, okay, my, my thing. And I was taught this by, by a mentor. He said, if everything went perfectly, how much money would you make? Right. And you, you can use that for just about anything, right? Like when we're looking at startup companies, like, okay, I always use this example because I shot put it right. Like, I'm going to make the best shot put you've ever seen, right? It's going to be the greatest shot put of all time. It's awesome. It's cool. It's got all the technology. Okay. For that company to be successful, I need every person to buy a shot put who buys, who shot puts, right? And again, I'm going to make up numbers here. Let's say there's a hundred shot putters in the U.S., which obviously is not true. There's far more. But if all hundred of them bought my product, how big would my business be? And let's say I sell them for a hundred dollars each. So you do a hundred times a hundred, right? And so like, is that a big business? And the answer is no. Like, could it be a good business for me? Sure, I might make a couple bucks and it's great, but like, it's not that big of a business. So when I look at NIL, like let's say there's 10, 20, $30 million deals out there in NIL. Am I gonna get one of them? Or CAA, Wasserman, you know, all these big agencies, they're gonna get them. Okay, so if I'm a college athlete, like am I gonna sign with Dan or am I gonna sign with, you know, Tom Brady's agent, right? And so like, when you look at that, it's like, I'm not, equipped to compete with those people. So, okay, where else is their money made? What else is best case scenario? And I couldn't find anything. And so to date, we have not really touched NIL on that front because like, I can't dedicate hours and time when like, I can't see a way, even if everything went perfectly, which to go back to the shot put example, for me to sell a shot put to every single shot putter in the country, like that's not gonna happen, right? Apple doesn't sell a phone to every single person in the country and they're a massive, massive company. And like, you have to look at things that way. If everything went perfectly, would this be a good business for you? And the answer to that question for me at that time was no. Doesn't mean I'm not monitoring it every single day and trying to find our way in and find what that way is. But right now it just didn't make sense for us because that's who's making money. It's the top tiers and then the players and that's it. And I, where do I see myself in that space? You're hitting on some great points and it kind of segues me into just like what we're doing with Lockdown You and the Blue White Collective at Penn State because like that was the thesis of where I was coming from working in sports, right? Whether it's working at the XFL with WWE and seeing their, um, their different re revenue points and how to, you know, push the fan because, you know, think about wrestling fans and college football fans, pretty similar, right? Like and like what they kind of attract to like or how you get around a group of players or just what your um supporting and in that i mean you kind of see where the different monetizations or the scalability of it is right because like i said when we were going through just the talking about the quarterbacks earlier and who was valuable with the gambling we realized like there was only probably 10 or 11 players that made a difference to the actual viewing product out of 600 guys and that was like sobering to me where it was like oh wait everyone's not as valuable as you think they are in terms of identifying solo player like oh michael parsons saquon barkley miles sanders like 
it's one of the few, but there's 110 guys on the team, right? In NFL, we know maybe 3%, 2% of the guys that get the big brand deals, but what about the guys in the middle? So from our standpoint, we were like, all right, what, what's the avenue in which there's a scalable product or scalable assets within? I mean, they do campus walks or anything, merchandising solutions, which hence, I mean, the end goal is something like a fanatics where you have license across the board, almost like a real estate situation. And you're kind of feeding off of that where their players are getting into the revenue stream whether they can go out and play, not push different things, and like their brand is something that they can be a part of, like a legacy silo, right? Um, for example, the NFLPA does it with Mad, right? So all the guys get a $10,000 check for being a part of that group license, but creating micro group licenses that go with along with different sports ecosystems is essentially what we're doing with Blue White Collective from a merchandising standpoint that grows out to those different brand deals. But again, from that situation of the group, because I had the same theory that you did, was like, Understanding the fan, the individual, there's very, very few individuals that can get big, big brand deals. And if I can, maybe in college football, maybe 30. And I'm, I mean, I'm you're talking to the guy that's watched, you know, I, I used to watch 800 high school players a year. So like when you're just kind of identifying who's worth what, the gap gets pretty wide, right? Like unless you have something special. So that's what we always talk about at Blue Chip Academy. It's like not a blue chip prospect, but being a desirable asset that continues to rise. So, because that's where people want to bet their money on, right? Moving forward, whether it's a company, VC, uh, firm, or whatever the case may be, because that's something that you can take with you for the rest of the time. Yeah, it's it's a tricky like the thing I tell people, and you know, playing sports at a level that I did not play at that you guys did is like that's a full time job, right? I was a full time. It was a full time job being a D three shot putter. Like, I can only imagine being a D1 women's volleyball player, track and field, football, right? But then I'm going to sit here from my, you know, ivory tower and be like, you should focus on social media, right? I think that's what I tell a lot about young people. It's like, you should both grow your social media channels. Like, that's where you need to be, right? And I think, unfortunately, it's true, right? Like, for you to be that million-dollar NIL deal, you're either the best player in the world or you got a hell of a social following. And yeah. To do engaging both. social following, right? Because you Correct. have to be able to engage when you have 100,000 followers Correct. and you never talk to them, but the guy that has 10,000 followers that everyone absolutely loves, they put something out and it's like, ah, uh, yeah, even that. So, the, yeah, engaging following, but that's authenticity. Yeah. 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 And so, like, to do both, that's the dream. But, like, I always use, like, Kawhi Leonard. Like, Kawhi's one of the best basketball players on planet Earth. But that guy doesn't really have an interest in, like, engaging with people one-on-one. He's more introverted. And no disrespect, right? That's his his prerogative. But, like, you either have to be that or you have to be, you know, like, someone who's more of a personality. Like, again, I don't want to knock Pat McAfee. He was one of the best punters in the NFL. But, like, Pat built his personality as social. And then you do have those, like, anomalies that are in the middle that are, like, incredible social media, incredible athlete, top of their world, like – but those are few and far between. So I think like figuring out which bucket it's hard, right? Like to do both is hard, but like social media, unfortunately is the currency in NIL right now. If you're not that top, you know, one half percent, who's like, you know, the Bronny James of the world. No, you make a great point. And it's, it's getting to a little bit of just that authenticity throughout the whole ecosystem. Cause I mean, me and Pat Platt, Pat's from Pittsburgh, so we played against each other in high school. And, you know, he's the same, he's the same guy. Like, he's always been. So it's just like a matter of that authenticity being put out there, right? Like, I remember just a funny story. I was a top recruit, obviously, but he was, some people didn't kick to me, right? And so before before the game, there's like a punter that's talking stuff to me like, hey, man, they I'm punting to you. I, you, I'm coming right at you. And I'm like, 
Who's this? Like, what? Who's this guy talking to? But like he would kickoffs. He's kicking the ball out of the back of the end zone. I said, "Worry about my dad's the coach." You're like, no, who's this kid kicking the ball? So he punts to me. Man, I break all the tackles. I'm about to score. I get tackled on the one yard line by Pat McAfee. So, <laughs> so we've heard that forever. But like, I love that the fact that you bring him up because you have somebody like a Kawhi Leonard and a Pat McAfee. And the one thing that I always try to preach is just that that building authenticity and who you are. Because the same thing that you bring up is is completely different. Kawhi was a top level player, right? So he was still being a desirable asset. Pat was the best kicker punter coming out through the game. And he's also been authentic and building his brand the way he was. Like, that's how he was off the field. But Kawhi has a brand. Like, the claw, the funny, dry comedy, that's out of authenticity, right? Like, or just, like you said, I don't want to be involved with the cameras at all. And, like, really riding that out. But you can ride unique personalities out around talent is always my thing. Like, it's only interesting if they're talented. Like, like if, if Michael Jordan wasn't Michael Jordan... They're just like, he's a sociopath, right? Like, <laughs> it wouldn't be, like, all the different things that come along with it. I think that sometimes that's missed when we're building a brand because, like, the core of everything that we're talking about is the talent and acquisition of that. So I love the those two examples because you don't have to be like Pat McAfee and you don't have to be that. You have to be Justin King or you have to be Dan, right? <laughs> and perform well at what you do. It's, I mean, it's super true just to hammer that point home real quick. Like authenticity is everything. Like we do a lot of work in esports, okay. and the best performing content creators are east in esports are the ones who are authentic to them. Like there are some creators who are unbelievable players, but don't have that good of a personality, but they have a big following because they're them. They're good. They're, and then you have some creators who aren't the best players, the biggest names in esports, like Ninja and Tim, the Tapman and Nick Merckx, like these guys, like swag who plays for phase, like, these guys aren't necessarily the best in the world, but they're authentic to themselves. They've created a good personality and they have a following. So I think that's a really important point is like, don't try to be something you're not because people are going to sniff that out and they're not going to like your content. You just got to be you and, and whatever that like Kawhi, who's a little more dry and chill or you're pad and you're over the top and you're a little crazy. But like, as long as you're you, like you'll find your niche. And you perform on, and you perform on your field of, Whatever that Correct. is, because Correct. if you're bad, that's like, you know, the, the jokes aren't yeah, great for branding. <laughs> I mean, we see that all the time, right? Like, there's a lot of athletes out there who are really good. Like, I love Juju, right? Uh -huh. Juju Smith-Schuster, amazing personality, amazing player. Yeah. But when he starts playing poorly, and he had a great week last week, thank God, um, like, people start talking. They're like, oh, maybe if you weren't making TikTok videos, maybe if you weren't doing this. And it's like you're giving ammo to your enemies, right? You're saying here, like, come, come doubt me. And then when you have a bad week, they're going to use that against you. So that's not an easy spot to be in either. No, a hundred percent is super volatile. That's what I mean. It's one of my theories that I go about with group licensing and the standpoint of a multifaceted reason or just whether it's the group, like a, like a stock or EFT that you're buying or it is just in general, it could be a vehicle used to like help recruit and build a brand identity that can stay at a school forever, right? And you're kind of then recruiting based on a mold that's created amongst the culture that already exists. And so it almost helps self-sustain the recruiting process that they're going through. But like, jump, but jump into it a little bit what you're talking about with the e-gaming because when we're seeing it a lot with sports with like all different type of athletes, where it's like, all right, let's, let's play games. I mean, we used to have a group, me, Chris Long, James Laronitis, when we used to come home from practice. Call of Duty all the time. Like if I know we could get together and like make money from that, that would be something completely different. 
where do you see athletes or revenue generating sports kind of merging into the video game world? Because like Juju, Kyler Murray, like I know everyone's big on Twitch now. Micah, uh, Micah, everybody's playing like two K like online. How is there opportunities there for NIL space for like college athletes or is like what? Hundred percent. Yeah, I think like to go back to a point we talked about previously is like social media is your currency, right? Right now, like how big is your audience? Because you look at, you know, some of these college athletes and they're getting bought based on their CPM, which is cost per thousand. And how many followers you have is directly correlated to your engagement rate, to how many impressions you're going to deliver to a brand who's looking, you know, on Verizon, I need a million impressions, right? And so in order for me, who has no followers, right, to get to a million impressions, that's a lot of work. For Quinn Ewers to get to a million impressions, a little bit easier, right? And so what we push, like, the way we kind of explain this, because we work with a lot of gamers, is you have a Venn diagram, right, of, like, your audience and someone else's audience, right? Your audience is this big, their audience is this big, and then there's a middle who likes both of you, Right. And so how do we grow our audience? And content creators are really good at this. And that's why you see your favorite content creators tag. They're working with other content creators. We're going to go shoot content with this big creator. We're going to do this because they're taking their circle, that creator circle, and they're building that Venn diagram in the middle of overlap of taking my fans and making them your fan. And I think we're seeing this a ton in gaming where athletes are partnering up with gamers because gamers in a lot of cases have a much bigger audience. And I'll, you know, this sounds crazy, but most of the gamers, the pro gamers have bigger audiences than a lot of the pro athletes outside of the LeBron, Ronaldo, Messi, et cetera, the top right? 1.2%. Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot of these athletes are partnering with these creators and gamers to stream with them so that they can grow their brand and simultaneously equally beneficial to the gaming creator to be like, oh, maybe you didn't know who Swag was, but because he played Warzone with Kyler Murray, now you're like, oh, this guy's cool. Or maybe you're the other way where you're like, I'm a fan of swag and I like his content. I didn't know much about Kyler Murray, but now I like Kyler Murray. So, and it's cool for both people. Like, that's the crazy thing is like, so we did this esports awards event um, over the weekend and there was a UFC fight on Saturday in Vegas. And then there was an event for the esports awards on Sunday. I can't tell you how many of the talent from the esports awards were hanging out with the UFC fighters on Saturday night. And I was like, UFC fighters are hanging out with like these gaming creators, but like they're friends and they create content together. And like, you'd be surprised as an athlete, how easy it would be for you to go partner up with a creator and who wants to like leverage your audience, grow your audience, because they think it's cool to play with the best volleyball player, the best quarterback, the best, whatever. And you think it's cool to play with the best call of duty player, the best, you know, Warzone player, the best Fortnite player. And so there's a huge opportunity to grow your audience by working together on that front. And that's why we're seeing all these collabs with Ben Simmons, Kyler Murray, um, Mika Parsons, as you mentioned, and a bunch of these others are really getting into it because, and again, to tie this all back together, authenticity. Yes. Like if you genuinely enjoy playing games with your buddies, which you talked about, you did when you were in school, yeah. people will like that content. That was the NFL. To see you in that's, that's, not even, that's not even, that's not even college. That's the NFL. I mean, oh, I still you get hubs too. Yeah. Like, it's all day. <laughs> and, yep. and so people like that content. It's good organic content and it's fun. It's a good way to diversify your audience and find new ways to like, just grow your following. Okay. So guys, listening up, man, you know, getting into the esports world and gaming, don't yell at your kids if they're playing too many video games, man, harness it and try to 
make some coin out of it because there's an opportunity there, especially guys in college don't take too much away from the film and other things that you need to do. But that's essentially, that's very important. So like getting into the more details we, we, on this podcast, we like to uh, give blueprints and understandings of different career paths so guys can have exposure, start putting blocks in the right place so they can have an acceleration plan and going through it. So I think that you have like one of the coolest jobs out, right? Like just from the standpoint of everything, sports business, the intersection of it. How did you get into the venture capital world uh, as a, in sports advisory for 76 Capital? If you could tell me a little bit about that background story, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like I, I you think about your career. I was talking to a, a younger kid this morning who's looking to pivot into the sports industry. And you, you get so focused on what's in front of you, right? Like when I was, when I graduated school, like I paid for school myself, I graduated with debt. I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire by 25. I'm going to pay off my debt. I'm going to grind. I'm going to be so rich. Like life is good. Life and is good. <laughs> that didn't happen. I think at 25, I was probably making like $60,000, right? Like, right. And not, not that there's anything wrong with making sixty thousand dollars. That's a that's a good that's a good life. But like when you know what I had aspirationally, and so you can't like you can't get caught up in that, right? You got to be understanding of the journey, right? And for me, it was like, what do you where do you want to be? And that changes, right? Like that changes for me on a daily basis. Like I had calls over the weekend with some of my buddies, uh, and was just like, I think I want to do this. I think I want to do this. But what I always focus on is what's making me better day to day and what's making me smarter and growing me in the right direction to where I want to be. And so in my career, like I started, like I, I was just telling the story, like I was working for an agency called Van Wagner and my big dream was to work in their sports group, right? I wanted to sell the signage in stadiums, right? That was one of their big businesses. And I, my whole internship was all about that. Like I was like, I'm ready. Like I'm going to do this president called me into his office. And this is like, I graduated 2011. So right after the 2010, 20, 2009, 2010 financial crisis. So a lot of people didn't have jobs. And he's like, I'm offering you a job. And I was like, I'm getting a job. Like I'm, I'm graduating college, I'm getting a job. And he's like, you're going to sell airplane banners and blimps. And I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like I'm doing the sports thing. And he's like, that's the job. You're either taking it or you don't have a job here. And you know, at, at 21, you know, I'm not going to say no to a job, but I'm going to be mad about it. Right. And so I was like, I don't know that I want to do this. Like, this isn't my dream. And I look back now, like forget airplane banners, forget blimps. Like what I learned from that job, like is so more important than what that actual thing was. Right. And I think the same thing applies when you're an athlete, like maybe you don't get the starting position that you wanted. And you're like, you're, you're a freshman coming into college and you think you're going to start at cornerback for Penn State and then you show up and they're like, nah, you're going to go do this. You're going to play special teams. Right. That's airplane banners and blimps, right? Special teams. And you can go two ways with that, right? You can be whatever and be like, nah, this isn't for me. I'm transferring. I'm not going to work hard, whatever. Or you can be like, I'm going to be the best blimps and airplane salesman you've ever seen, right? And so I tried to go that second route of just working so hard and just doing everything I could to be the best at that, knowing that that would inevitably get me to where I want to be. And same thing for college athletes, right? If you get started and you're in special teams and you're not starting on the you know defense or offense, like you could either be a baby about it or you could just be the best special teams player and get yourself ready for when you get that opportunity to start on offense or defense. 
And that was the approach I took in my whole career is like, you're going to get thrown a lot of punches and you're going to like not get exactly what you think you're going to get. But if you stay the course and you work as hard as you can in every role you get and every opportunity you get, take what you can learn from it. Like I learned how to sell. I learned how to sell something that nobody wants. Who wants an airplane banner or a blimp, right? Like right, right, nobody right. wants that. Like there's 10 companies that have blimps, right, in the whole world. And how many companies want to do airplane banners? And so to be able to say, okay, rather than being negative, like oh, I have to sell this thing that's not really cool versus a sign at Yankee Stadium. I was like, you know what? If I can sell this, I can sell anything. And so I was like, I'm going to take that approach and I'm going to work so hard and try to build that into what what is eventually going to be my career. And I did this throughout my career of everything that I had the opportunity to work on. And eventually now here I am today, like getting the opportunity and I'm, and I'm just getting started, right? Like I, by no means is this like, I made it, I did it. Like, I don't feel that way at all. Like, I feel like we're, we're just getting started and I've had some good breaks and things have gone well, but like, we're going to keep building and growing. But like, it's about taking the opportunities you have, seizing them, working as hard as you can and leveraging that knowledge. Because now when I look at VC and consulting, like I have to understand so many facets of this industry in order to be good at that. And if I didn't have that job in NASCAR, which wasn't the coolest job, or if I didn't have that job selling airplane banners, or didn't have that job like doing sports marketing for Rocket Mortgage, like talking about mortgages, like, sure, would I rather go work than Nike on LeBron's brand? For sure. But that wasn't the opportunity I had. But again, the things that I learned and were, were able to grow as a person, as a professional, made me what I am now. And if I didn't work hard and I didn't grind, like, that wouldn't be the case. So I think, like, taking the opportunities that are in front of you, and working at them at 100% is going to be how you succeed and how you grow as an athlete, as a player, as a employee, as talent, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that's super important. No, absolutely. I mean, we, we had a guest on previous, EJ Barthel. He's now the running back coach at Nebraska. Shout out to him. But his name of his episode was um, Be Where Your Feet Are. Because, like, that's the major thing of, like, going through this whole cycle. Every situation, every step that you go through, you focus in on it, it opens up other doors, right? Because, I mean – just like to give uh, full transparency, me and Dan met when I was actually looking after the XFL closed up to try to work at 76 Capital. And, you know, it didn't work out, but we connected and continued to stay close. And I asked um, Dan, like, well, how do you like, how do you break into the VC world? Because, like, that's where I wanted to go after the XFL, you know, just like that intersection of sports and business. Like, that was always my thing. And if you can go into the story a little bit about, I mean, I don't know if you remember telling me about how you got into it or like steps. If it, if it was like another athlete asking like, man, how do I get into the VC world? Like, what do I need to do? I mean, the, I'll give you first, the first thing you told me was like, well, you need to start a business. <laughs> like, that's the first thing. So, and yeah. then from there, I mean, you could tell your story from how you got into it from. Yeah. I mean, applying. so, so when I, over the course of my career, I've gotten to do some amazing things and I realized, so, so probably the most important job I had, and this is just like an example of, you never know what you're going to do is I moved to Detroit and I worked for Rocket Mortgage doing sports marketing. And like my friends, like I, I, I lived in New York, I lived in LA, like people were like ripping on me for moving to Detroit. They're like, what are you doing? But shout out Detroit, Detroit's my favorite city. Okay. I love it. And I took that opportunity, right? Like it was kind of like a chance, like moving to Detroit from LA and New York, like, do you want to do this? But I took the chance. And when I was there, I had the opportunity to meet like Dan Gilbert, the owner who owns the Cavs, StockX, like all these big companies. I got to meet his team and his inner circle. And funny enough, like another good example, like I, I, I met them playing hoops, right? So they got a full court basketball court down there in, in the building, in the office. And I used to play basketball. 
and like you know you just meet people you're playing you're like where where are you from who are you like right and like they're like i moved here from la i went to nyu and they're like why how did you get here right and then they granted me the opportunity to do some stuff with dan's team and like Dan was working on MLS bid, X Games bid, uh, all these other things, and like had the opportunity to help with that. And then eventually, kind of parlayed that into, if you remember, Fathead, the life size wall sticker company. Yeah. Uh, Dan owned that at the time, and they needed some help, so he brought me in there to help with that. And that was the first job I had where it was like, you know, when it was like, you do sports marketing for Rocket Mortgage, you sell blimps and airplanes, you sell NASCAR. This was the first job where it was like, you do whatever helps this company grow, okay. and it was like. Well, that could be a lot of things, right? That could be marketing, that could be UI UX, that could be SEO, that could be all these buzzwords that like, to be fair, I didn't really know what they were. I just knew to say them. And so like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can do all this. I can do all this. Cause I've always been like, I'll figure it out. I'll talk to people, I'll figure it out. Right. And so I had the opportunity to try to fix this company Fathead with an awesome team that they had brought in. And I realized that looking at a business holistically was what I was passionate about. And not knocking sponsorship, ticket sales, marketing, like all that stuff's great too. But like, I couldn't just live in a singular vertical of Dan, you sell tickets, Dan, you do marketing. And I realized that that was what I was passionate about. So then I was doing that and then, you know, skipping over, but I got my dream job to work for a European football club and I worked for Manchester City. But I realized when at Man City, like, nah, I didn't want to go back to sponsorship sales. I wanted to do what I had realized I wanted to do. And so I started meeting VCs, private equity. And again, I went to school for sports management. And so I go and I'm like, okay, how do I get into your world? This is what I want to do. You're investing in sports. You're consulting in sports. Like I know that world because I worked in it. And I'm probably 29 years old. I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to business school. My undergrad degree is not in finance. I don't know what a P&L is, an income statement, like none of this stuff, right? And they're like, okay, you know, we won't hire you. We can't hire you. We can't hire you. And I kept hearing it, but I kept networking, networking, networking. And finally met the guys at 76 because they're based in Philly. Got to know them through networking and connections. Was like, okay, this is really cool. This is interesting. I like what those guys are doing. And then I got a piece of advice that I share with you from a different VC when I was like, all right, I want to work for you. And I shadowed this guy. They were, it's uh, it's uh, Vasu Kolkarni. Uh, and Vasu works at Courtside Ventures, which is another investment firm. And Dan's an investor in Courtside. Uh, which is how I got connected to Vasu. And Vasu gave me a piece of advice. He said, there's three ways in a venture for you. It's you go get your MBA and you learn finance, which again, I was still paying off undergrad loans. There was no chance I was getting my MBA. You are, are you know, a quant, a financial wizard, and you're really good with numbers, which I wasn't. Or you can go start your own company. And I said, okay, of those things, like, I can't do two of them. So let me start a company. And like, what, what do you, what do you, like, when I told you that, you were probably like this guy. Like, what does that even mean? Right? <laughs> Same thing. I was like, I was like, what do I do with that? Like, how do I start a company? Yeah. And fast forward four years later, here we sit, like, right, <laughs> we both started our company. And it allowed me to learn so much to and I made so many mistakes. Like my favorite story is for the first four months of my company, I didn't pay myself because I was waiting to like, my accountant, I was like waiting for him to pay me. And like, finally I called him and I was like, like, how? And he's like, dude, you take the money out of your bank account. And I was like, well, who's going to like write a check? He's like, you're going to write a check to yourself. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And like, you know, it's it just like these little things you learn and you grow. And now like, I think like having understood some of these things about like, you know, and I'm talking like nuancy stuff, like 
QuickBooks, accounting, insurance, like you learn so much doing that, but also like how to close a deal, how to like, like, I like putting myself in a corner. And when it's your business, like my first, like whatever months, like I made $6,000 for the first like four or five months I was in business, like not a month, like I made $6,000 total. And it's like, you got to stomach that you got to be okay with that. And I think all of these things I learned while building this company that I eventually rolled into 76 and joined them, like, I wouldn't have gotten that job at 76 if I wasn't an entrepreneur myself building our company. They would have been like, oh, you're Dan. You work in sports. Sure, you know sports, but you don't know finance. You don't know this. All the things that everyone said no to me about before, suddenly they were like, all right, this guy might know something. Right. And they took a chance on me, and I'm glad they did. And now here we are having this conversation a couple years later. No, that's amazing. That was some of my best advice. I mean, I love that story. I mean, just I, I, I kind of clock and log different, you know, career advice in general. And I remember that being like a top tier one. I just like the whole story going through and, and the, and the learning experience. I think I was just starting my business at the time. No, it was actually before I had some ideations about it, but that was like the stamp of like, all right, I'm sure this is what I want to do. Because like when you said you can't live in a, a solo vertical, I thought we hit that heavy from the first time we met because coming up in sports, a lot of times you get placed in a vertical either, Oh, you do coaching, you do operations, you evaluate players, you do this, right? Like you're the analytics guy. And then sometimes those different verticals get picked to run the whole organization. And I was just like, man, that's garbage. Like there's more to go through each one of these things. I mean, I could watch film. I know the operations. I know the analytical aspect of it. I could do this part. So just from me, Stan, like one exposure to that, when I got to the XFL, it was like cemented, like, oh, I can't go back into I can't go back working for a team. I can't go back into like a single vertical of just, oh, value asset to this player or arguing with a coach. After seeing the whole scope of everything that we were doing and where it fit and all the connecting pieces and seeing the gaps more so was where I was like, I got to fill these gaps before I go back and kind of get in line right, with these other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, and there's, and like you said, there is a level of having confidence, but like grit to get through those different times, right? When you talk about not making money, getting making a different uh, networking things, get your pitch down and all that good stuff. So now it's your N76 Capital. What are some common uh, fact patterns of entrepreneurs that have successfully exited, I mean, that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. Like I, I got this piece of advice uh, from a buddy, Corey Tincher, who's he now works at DVP, which is Detroit Venture Partners. Okay. But Corey was um, Dan's right hand, who like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Corey taking a chance on me, and we're, we met at the gym. Um, and so Corey gave me this analogy that I like, and it's about a jockey, right? Like in horse racing, right? You could have the best horse in the world, but if you don't have a good jockey riding that horse, training that horse, like it's never going to be what it needs to be, right? And so you need a combination of a good horse and a good jockey. And a really great jockey can make up for an okay horse. A good horse can make up for an okay jockey, not as well, right? And so when he explained that to me, it made a lot of sense. And that's kind of how you look at like, you know, an entrepreneur or a founder, right? We're very big on who the founder is. Like if you look at a lot of our portfolio companies, a lot of them pivoted, right? They weren't what we originally invested in, but that's okay because we believed in that founder to make that pivot. And when people think like, you know, I had all these grandiose visions of VC that it was going to be like, all right, there's all these really unbelievable, the smartest people in the world and the best ideas. And reality, it's not really like that. It's a lot of people figuring shit out and trying to make something work and like having to change their idea 14 times. And, and you smile and I smile because we did the same thing in our business, right? right? <laughs> like 
you think one thing when you set out and you're like, this is it. I figured it out. I'm the smartest guy. And then five minutes later, you're like, okay, this isn't working. Like now what am I doing? And so when you look at a founder, like I want someone who hustles. I want someone who's dedicated and I want someone who can think on their feet and pivot. Because if you think you figured it all out and you have the perfect idea going in, like you're not going to work. And if you think like this is going to be easy, it's not like, it's not easy. Like there are mornings to this day, like we've not that my company is some crazy thing, but it's a lot crazier than I thought it would be two, three, four years ago. But like, I also think there's a ton of room to grow and there is, but like every morning I wake up and I'm like, what are we going to do different? How do we, how do we get here? Like, and then I'm constantly like, for me, my number one thing is like meeting new people, learning from new people and like understanding and growing. I think it's so easy to learn and understand from people. Like when I was building my company and we looked for founders doing similar things, it's like, what can you learn from someone else who's done this? Like, you're probably not the first person to do what you think you're going to do. So how do you learn from someone who's made these mistakes? And so founders who are open to feedback. So like when we have a company that's like in a certain, hey, we're trying to navigate media rights. We're trying to navigate this. Let us go bring in an expert who knows this space. Talk to them, bounce ideas off of them. And our founders who have conversations versus like, you know, we have founders who we've been doing diligence on who like will meet, you know, a C-level executive from ESPN or something. And they're like, no, nah, they're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And I'm like, you think this person doesn't know what they're talking about? You think that, not you, not you who's trying to raise $500,000. You think this guy who makes $500,000 every three months doesn't know what he's talking about or she doesn't know what he's talking about. And so for us, it's founders who are willing to work, willing to listen and grow and pivot and understand, I think it's super important, but it's it's about the hustle. Like that's that's it. Like you need someone who wants it. And, and I can't teach that. I can teach you a lot of things. I can teach you media rights. I can teach you sponsorship, but I can't teach you to be that person that's like texting me at 8 p.m. being like, Hey, I, I thought of this crazy idea. Can you connect me to X person? I want to chat through it with them. That's the people that we're looking for. Got it. Got it. No, that's amazing, man. Like, I really appreciate this. All of it, man. Where can people find you? Like you, you and just they want to get involved with a 76 Capital or just wanted to reach out to the 76 Capital Sports Advisory. Um, yeah. Just like your Twitter handle, IG, different things of that nature. Yeah. At Bravado on all my platforms and then LinkedIn. Like, I'm a big, like, fan of like out outreach like just hit me up like hit me send me a dm on linkedin send me a dm on twitter i answer almost all of them like i think that's like i wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for people taking a chance on me and so if you're willing to put in the hustle to like reach out to someone do homework on them like here's why i'm reaching out this is what i want to talk about like i was inspired by this i did this like i'll answer that 100 percent of the time right if someone's just like sends me up deck blindly, like with no math. It's like, what do you do it? Like, that's not how you interact with people. Right. But if you take the time and reach out and do it, I'm happy to talk to anybody. So I would say LinkedIn's probably the best spot for that. Um, or Twitter. Most definitely, man. Appreciate you, Dan, for jumping on. Like he said earlier, man, make sure you guys understand when you're going through this process, what you want to do, putting that thing out, put your, your vision out there and just executing. Like he said, having grit about going to do different things and being where your feet are at every opportunity, whether you're in high school, college, get the most out of it because you never know what doors open up from that. But just the ever-changing world of sports and venture capital and guys making this decision to go to college where it's NIL deals, uh, transfer portal, college coaches making a lot of money. You have an opportunity to get into that stream of different careers within sports, whether it's venture capital, whether it's being an entrepreneur, whether it's being a coach, whether it's being an athletic director, chief marketing officer, there's so many different avenues within that. So Dan, thank you for 
kind of bring it all together into different things, whether it's gaming, gambling, just opening up your perspective so you guys can empower yourselves to kind of find out more information about those different things and going through. And if you need any help with uh, any type of strategic talent acquisition in the intersection of sports and business, man, LIG Sports Group is here and 76 Capital here is another resource that you guys can get um, involved with. And again, thank you guys. And make sure you guys check out Blue White Collective and get some gear so these Penn State players and DBs can get some uh, money before the um, Rose Bowl and all that good stuff and just continue to build out all these different fun things in the sports world. So again, Dan, thanks for jumping on. You guys like and subscribe to the podcast and uh, signing out. Talk soon. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.